This episode of Fright Day is brought to you by Spring Heel Jack Coffee. You need great coffee. Jack delivers. Visit springheeljack.coffee. Oh, please stop spinning. Got the wheel of dang death. Is that a Christmas song? No, it's a Kelly original. Wow, I couldn't tell. <laughs> Have I told you that the girls are now making up songs? No, I'm not it's, surprised. It's really good. You're inspiring creativity. <laughs> I sure as shit am. And that's great. <laughs> Is Fright Day. Sure is. Well, I'm your ho-ho-host, Byron. Oh, well done. Get well to done, use it. And as the fall semester winds down, some students are sticking around to celebrate the holidays with their fraternity brothers and sorority sisters. As tensions rise and girls start going missing, Christmas break becomes a nightmare. Woo. Before Christmas. Okay, I didn't even name that one on our Christmas show. Oh, the Patreon exclusive behind the screams. I mean, it's technically a Halloween movie, but whatevs. Is this reimagining a modern Christmas horror miracle? Or is it the cinematic equivalent of a cheap plastic tree or those lame inflatable yard decorations? Okay, they're kind of fun. I don't know. We'll talk about that as we review Sophia Tikal's Black Christmas and... You know Dahmer and Kemper, Ramirez and Manson. Oh my god, that was Gacy and Bundy, Bianchi and Shipman. Oh god! But before them all... Oh god! It's the Mitten State's most notorious serial killer, the Michigan murderer, the Ypsilanti ripper, the original co-ed killer, John Norman Chapman. In this edition of Byron's Serial Corner... I'm joined tonight by Kelly. I am so torn right now because part of me wants to be so excited that you just kind of (laughs) sung a Christmas song and the rest of me wants to kill you for blasphemizing Christmas. And Sam can't make it because he's... I don't have anything. What do you got? Because his old girlfriend from college who was in a sorority that was really close to his fraternity came back and cut his throat last night. Oh, horrific. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, guys, wash your hands. Yeah. And maybe get a flu shot. I got one of those in the middle of this awfulness. They're like, it couldn't hurt. Yeah, it isn't a bad idea at all. Not, I need to. You didn't get one yet? Well, okay, so here's the thing. Because I get these infusions for uh, my freaking alien disease. body. Right. Like, I tried to get one when I went in for that, but they said, I wouldn't oh, that. you can't do it at the same time. You got to wait two weeks. I was like, okay, so I'm scheduled to get one next week. Uh, thank you so much for putting up with that episode two post uh, while I recovered from the 
I was dying. Well, you kind of were. The whole blood thing. I was up for just plowing through and doing it. Yeah. But then when I heard about the blood, I said, yeah, no, I don't want to see you at all. I've never had blood come out of my throat like that. Hopefully you don't again. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, It is rough, you guys. At one point, was having a cough syrup dream about getting stuck inside my own head so I couldn't sleep anymore. Very uh, claustrophobic thought. It is. But during my downtime, I did have some time to watch things, finally. What did you watch? I don't know. Not enough, because the year is coming to an end, and what we have missed so far is piling up. Honestly, the only thing that I'm super stressed about right now is Parasite. Heard amazing things. Yeah, Uh, me too. uh, Maybe we'll cover it for the New Year's episode. Who knows? Oh, I think that's a great idea. Currently, I'm all about Apple Plus's servant. Leanne? Leanne Grayson? Hello, Mrs. Turner. Hi, I'm Sean. Nice to meet you, Mr. Turner. You have a beautiful home. She is a godsend. I was expecting someone older, less weird. We hope you'll treat our house as your home. I'm sure you and Jericho will form an instant bond. She's cool with everything. She knows the situation. I've been talking about watching it for weeks. It's that M. Night Shyamalan produced... Oh, that's called Servant. Sorry. Yes, it wasn't called... uh, What what did I call it? I don't remember. (laughs) Surrogate, maybe, I think. I initially thought it was. That's weird, too. A Philadelphia couple is in mourning after an unspeakable tragedy creates a rift in their marriage and opens the door for a mysterious force to enter their home. It is really twisty. I don't know how much I can say without spoiling it. Really? This couple loses their child and replace it with a real doll. Basically, yeah. to push through the grieving process. Yeah. Because the woman went into a catatonic state, and this is. Gonna bring her out? No, she's back, and she still thinks that her baby is alive. Okay, so until they get this doll, where does she think her baby is? She has blacked out all of the death of her baby because she could not process it. Obviously, it's. <laughs> It's pretty heavy on the shoulders of this her husband. This sounds like a Not For Kelly show. Well, it might actually be. You're a fan of the show Six Feet Under, right? I never watched a single episode. I cannot. Isn't that crazy? Believe that. I know. It's really weird. I will admit that it's strange yeah. and really embarrassing, actually. The mother is played by Lauren Ambrose, who plays the youngest oh, love daughter her. in the family. Okay, no, 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 no. Lauren Ambrose, who plays the awkward girl... In can't hardly wait oh, is what you meant right. to say. Yeah, yeah, Denise Fleming. Interesting. Yes. Uh, it's great to see her back on the screen. This young woman, played by Nell Tiger Free, a young actress who hasn't done much. She was Marcella Baratheon. I don't What's that from? Uh, Game of Thrones. Some Baratheon. Hey, you get my Christmas card? I did. It's okay. great. You Just photoshopped sure. your family, like the cast of Game of Thrones yeah. on the front, and you said winter is coming, and that's fun because it is. It is. Yeah. She is hired as a nanny for this baby. Oh, God. And things uh, continue to Shyamalan every episode. Uh, another great face that I think you would really appreciate. So what's the twist? Is the baby actually alive? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about that. Rupert Grint plays Lauren Ambrose. Ron Weasley. <laughs> Brother. Chocolate-covered Weasley. It's so great. This is his horns performance for me. Okay, I'm super excited about this. He's coming out as like a real actor in a very serious, dark show. Oh my god, 
give me a Ron. I love so it. Maybe he'll push through for this. I don't know. I actually don't know if he's done other real projects, but I'm happy to see him here because I've never seen any of the Harry Potter things. It's great. Wow. Servant is awesome. I'm going to hang on to Apple TV Plus for a while because I'm also still watching the morning show starring Mark Duplass and Jeffrey Aston. Is that great? I love that show. Okay. Also, I'm just going to breeze through a couple things I watched. I tried to take in 47 meters down uncaged. Uh, you did actually. I tried. Huh? I uh, turned it off. Very rare for me. Wow. What was it that? Uh... It was a bad film. Okay. Yeah. But what was it that pushed you over the edge? Like, wasn't what was good. The... Acting was bad. There wasn't anything specific that made you say like, okay, yep. The this shark... was the straw that broke the camel's back. And the sharks it off. are blind because they've been in deep ocean water for a long okay. time. Yep. That's a that's a good kind of a straw lame, lame twist to break yeah. it. Okay. Good. I also watched a movie that I was really excited about. Ooh. Walked away. Oh no! What disappointed. Uh, Woodshock. It's an A24 film from 2017. A24 did something bad? Yeah, starring Kirsten Dunst as well. Well, of course. There was your problem well, right there. I love there. Dunst. You know that. A the haunted... last thing that she did that was worth watching <laughs> Bring was it that. On. No, it wasn't. You're talking about the mockumentary. No. Dropped it gorgeous. No. The, the new one with Skarsgård? That one. Central Florida no. or something? No. No, it was a Skarsgård, but it was oh, like Melancholia. The... Yep, that Beautiful one. Beautiful Thank you, Byron. I appreciate it. I just couldn't bring myself to come up with a name, so thank you. A haunted young woman spirals into confusion and chaos after she falls under the spell of potent, mind-altering drug. It's a doobie. Uh, what right, drug uh, does she take? It's like a... Willingly or forced Willingly. She works at like a pot shop kind of thing. God, I fucking hate Dunst. It's really... Oh, I can't say fuck on this one, can I? No. <laughs> All okay. right. That's for the Patreon patrons. Behind the screens. Yeah. Christmas episode is out now. I love Dunst. I, this just wasn't for me. It's beautifully shot, but it's just so meandering and trippy at points. It sounds super trippy and not fun. In my fever state, I, I was finally feeling good enough to sit upright in bed with my lovely girlfriend, Jamie. We watched Little Monsters. a super fun time on our trip to Pleasant Valley Farm. Yeah! Ready? Steady? Let's go. There must be something in the way. Warning, this movie contains flesh-eating zombies. Assault with a deadly guitar. Strong language. Douchebag. Stop fucking swearing. Firearms. Disembowelment, death metal, gore, Nico on the line, and Academy Award winner Lupita Nyong'o and... Uh, oh, it looked so cool. Was it any good? A really gross Josh Gad. A washed really? up... Yeah. A washed up... When is he not? A washed up musician teams up with As a teacher... Olaf? Well, I guess you're right. Teams up with a teacher and the kids show personality to protect young children from a sudden outbreak of zombies. This is one of the best zombie movies I've seen since Anna and the Apocalypse, which I guess there hasn't really? been many of them this year. But Still? Yeah, it made me cry twice, which might have been because made of the... Did you cry? I, I thought it was supposed to be funny. It is funny. It's also heartwarming. And I might have been high on cough medicine. You are so easily influenced. It's hilarious. Cough medicine does nothing to me. You're talking to a guy who hasn't 
done a single thing in his entire it's just, life. It's just funny. <laughs> a blank canvas for any sort of pharmaceuticals. They mess me up. And yeah, well. this film did as well. Highly recommended. It's a Hulu original film. Okay. You gotta check it out. I feel like it had a little bit of a bump when it came out, but then got swept under the rug of content. I will definitely watch it. Anything with Lupita has my vote. You know that. Yeah. What have you been up to other than Christmasing? Lots and lots of Christmasing. I finished off The Watchmen, which I know doesn't count as horror. I also... It still sounds like a great show. It was... I've never seen so the movie. good. Well, watching the movie does help for sure. If you don't want to watch the movie, just read the Wikipedia summary of the movie and that's okay. plenty to jump in with. It is so well done. Contrary to the movie that we're going to discuss tonight, it really addresses some pretty big modern issues in a really interesting and thought-provoking way. I like that when they do it that. It isn't... I don't like it when they do It really doesn't oversimplify it. Like, there was some flashback backlash there's some backlash against this one because a very prominent theme in it is police and it really isn't an anti-police show okay which is kind of the common theme you know in many cases for good reasons these days but this i think investigates that specific issue in a very nuanced way nuanced and much more intelligent way oh good and it deals with a lot of race relations stuff I can't remember if I talked about this on the show already, but it opens with a story that is singularly horrifying that A, the story it opens with is true and then infinitely more horrifying that that story is not something that anyone I know has ever learned about in a history class. Wow. There was an incident in the 20s in Tulsa Oklahoma, there was an African-American population in the city that had kind of begun to overcome a lot of the challenges that came obviously through the racism that was absolutely prevalent. And they had formed this almost Wall Street community with a bunch of pretty successful African-American business people and families that were doing really well. There was an attack on this community, which included some local officials and military, as well as private citizens. Never heard of this, no. 300 people were fucking killed. Wow, and watch your mouth. Sorry. Possibly more, because it was certainly not investigated thoroughly at the time. And I never learned about this in any history book. It is one of the most horrific things I've heard in American history. And when I watched the first episode, I thought for sure this was just something that the producers and writers came up with for the show. It's 100% true. Anyhow, that kind of sets the stage. It's a really great show. Some really incredible performances in it. Those of you who like the movie, it calls back on a lot of things that will make the show entertaining. Those of you who aren't into the movie, like I said, just read the summary and that's enough. It can definitely stand on its own very easily. The other thing, I know not horror. I've been binging Succession. I know I'm late to that party. I've been meaning to uh, (laughs) come to that party. It is so good. The first few episodes, it did take me a while to get into. But by the fourth or fifth episode, I realized this was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Oh, man. Um, Maybe I'll cover it for my new podcast. You should. The Kalk cast. Are you really going to do a Kalk cast? I discussed starting a podcast with my friend Amy where we cover all Kalkin properties. You got Rory, you got, uh, what's this one? Kieran. A Kieran, and then, I mean, of course, Macaulay. And Kieran is coming into his own. In fact, he was nominated for a freaking Golden Globe for his performance in the show. Not surprised. I've heard really It's amazing. And it's, in fact, do you remember back in the ring, the guy that played Samara's dad, when Naomi went and investigated the house that Samara had grown up in? Uh Uh-huh. There's this old dude that played Samara's dad. Yeah. He's become a super well-known actor since then, and he plays the 
patriarch of the succession family. Oh, wow. Um, he's a Scottish dude. Uh, now I'm going to forget his name, of course. Brian something. Brian Cox. Yeah, and he... Oh, wow. This guy is... I mean, he's been an actor forever. As most people from that island of Great Britain, he is a tremendous actor and very classically trained and he puts on just the most incredible performance in the show. I think he's nominated as well, actually. But he's played some fun roles over the years. If you look through, he's he's played quite a few different things. But of course, the horror related thing that I always call to Samara's dad. Watch it. We're almost through the second season. The bummer is and I haven't told Sam yet. I thought that the third season was about to come out, which is why I've been binging it and talking Sam into binging it with me. It doesn't come out until next summer. Oh, no. It hasn't even started filming, apparently. Well, that's the... So I'm going to wait until we're done to tell him that. Otherwise, he'll stop watching. Uh, It's great. You guys should watch that. And I have been doing some non-horror podcast exploration. Oh, my God. What is this month about for you? I know. I'm sorry. It's nothing super novel, I have to say. I've been listening to two celebrity-led podcasts that seem to get some pretty interesting, fun guests. So one of them is Armchair Expert with Dax Dax Shepard. Okay. And the other one is Life is Short with Justin Long. Justin Long actually has a horror film coming up pretty soon. Really? More of a weird thriller. Okay. I did get the trailer for it sent to me. So they just have some people on that I really, really, really like. I mean, like Dax Shepard had the Surgeon General of California on talking about childhood trauma and stuff like that. So anyhow, I've been listening to these. One of my favorite current celebrities is Jamila Jamil. She's from the new, no, not the new girl, The Good Place. Gorgeous woman who has taken on basically celebrity body dysmorphia. I, yeah, I've seen her stuff on She's Twitter. She's amazing. doing a lot of really great stuff. I mean, some people will criticize her because it is easier to take a role like that when you're freaking gorgeous to begin with. Very true. But she will post photos of her cellulite. She goes to war with the Kardashians over them promoting cleanses and Instagram diet products. For, yeah. yeah. She turned down something like two or three million dollars in endorsements this year because she's now refusing to let anyone Photoshop any pictures of her. That's incredible. All the people that she was doing endorsements for said, no, like we have to be able to Photoshop you to make you look exactly like you want. And she's like, yeah, well then tough, then I'm not going to get the money. But the funny, so two funny things. First of all, during this, and I follow her on Instagram, but she doesn't talk about her relationship a ton. There have been a couple photos with this gentleman. I didn't put two and two together, but she's this very outspoken. She talks in the episode with Justin Long about people thinking she's really too much. Uh, which is funny because I certainly get that criticism pretty commonly. Uh, uh, yeah. she, <laughs> she's talking to him about it and it comes out who her boyfriend is. And I thought to myself, I was like, what? Is this a pop culture podcast? Who's her boyfriend? James Blake. Oh, the musician. And like, I know this is really contrary to her whole mission in life, but like he's yeah. dating up. Holy shit. You think he's not a hunk? He's very sad and British looking. <laughs> It's, it was interesting, but one of the things that they talked about immediately as the episode started, she was like, Justin, I've got a bone to pick with, with you. you. About one of your film roles that f***ed me up for life. Oh, I can't so, wait yeah. to hear about a, a bone. Yeah. What's the bone? Okay, so... <laughs> Should we just get uh, into it? Yeah, Jeepers f***ing Creepers. Okay. That film has f***ed me up for my whole life. And so they did this big discussion of Jeepers Creepers. <gasps> Victor Salva classic. And it was funny because Justin was basically like, yeah, the first half was pretty scary. The second half sucked. And the monster was... got wings and made eyeballs. And a fact came out that I had never heard before. There was a scene that was cut from the movie where the creeper 
was supposed to talk. Not just sing the song. Something when he, when he like kills the old lady and he makes some weird comment apparently about what she smells like. So he's trying to like create maybe a Freddy Krueger. Right. Dropping some catchphrases. And Justin was like, thank God they cut it. And she was like, oh yeah, that would have ruined it all. They had this funny discussion about I'm happy Jeepers to hear Creepers. That, yeah, she, yeah. It is a very interesting movie. It is. The history is disturbing. So they were pretty hot into a discussion of like, Jamila's been raped. She had this horrible childhood. Like oh. she got a really traumatic background. And I think that's why Justin didn't necessarily work in the discussion of yeah, like... Yeah, the other stuff. Right. Because we were already pretty heavy. Anyhow, obviously, we're not supposed to promote other podcasts, nor are we supposed to talk about things that, that are non-horror. I don't know why you always assume that. But you guys should definitely listen to Life is Short with Justin Long. He does an episode with his grandma. Oh, that's He interviews cute. his grandma. It's freaking adorable. Well, he's got a movie coming out called The Wave. It's okay, a, so who directed it? Well, uh, Kill Glabin. Kill Glabin? Not saying that right. Can we talk about anything else he's done? He did some episodes of TV and some shorts. A man on the verge of a promotion takes a mysterious hallucinogenic drug that begins to tear down his reality and expose his life for what it really is. Definitely more in the sci-fi camp from what I've seen and visually trippy. We'll see what that's about. I'm sure there will be a review for it at Friday.com. Obvi. What's the date that it comes out? In theaters and on VOD January 17th from Epic Pictures. Oh, very soon. Yeah. Okay. Right around the corner. Then the only other thing, which I haven't watched yet, but I think I should throw out there at least, um, by the time this airs, the new Star Wars will be out and I'm going to see You've that on Thursday. Oh, yeah. oh, don't need to talk about it. Fuck baby Yoda. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I, we totally have gone on way too long, but I forgot that we're supposed to talk about Daniel isn't real a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we all know that I've been a bit of a Debbie Downer on some movies recently. Yes, you have. It's um, been a bad streak. I was kind of expecting this one to be similarly meh. Understand For no reason other than the premise didn't sound terribly entertaining. And, and you weren't a fan of the director's first film. I hate Republican Schwarzeneggers. Okay. And I just, it's just not my thing necessarily. Adam Egypt Mortimer directed a film called Some Kind of Hate that we covered early on in the show. Yep. Didn't love it. It was like meh. Yeah. This was really cool. Uh-huh. I actually really liked it. We've had a few movies this year that seem to dip into the art scene. I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah, we, that we keeps kicked resurging. it off with Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah. We keep coming back to that. I just thought this was really good. The performances were very good. It was interesting. They weren't afraid to be uh, annoyingly pretentious right and show that and one of the things that really swayed me on this movie was mary stewart masterson's performance as our protagonist's mother who dealing with incredibly severe mental mental illness illness. yeah the Um, set design in that house was incredible it was yeah and she's just a great actress and you don't see her in a ton of stuff sure so anytime i get a chance also she's just an interesting person in the sense that to me she's almost a uh, pharrell she looks kind of the same that she did like 20 oh, years ago got the vampire gene yeah it's huh. interesting but she was amazing and then as the story focused less on her and more on her son miles robbins or her son luke and daniel was played by the schwartz the acknowledged schwarzenegger son one of the two acknowledged ones so miles robbins do you know anything about him no he tell a, me about he, him. well he had a part in the halloween reboot he was the funny friend oh you remember that no and he's actually the son of tim robbins and susan sarandon no yeah no he seemed like a real cool dude he was a good actor yeah he's also the front man of a psychedelic pop band called pow pow family band <laughs> 
found the Loch Ness Monster, then I lost her. I lost her. I found the Loch Ness Monster, but I misplaced her. And I swam into Atlantis, and know how my camera got really wet. Still, I swear that I saw Atlantis. Where he dresses up as a character named Millie, who's a disgruntled housewife and has an affinity for dresses and red lipstick. He's an art boy. That sounds like trying too hard. I, I really loved his performance as well as Patrick Schwarzenegger, who I didn't know anything about. Apparently, he's a big deal. Yeah. People think he's a hunk. He's like I an know. Instagram guy. Anytime I know somebody's political background, is that fucked oh, up? Oh, right. Come on, please. Sorry. I'm sorry. Daniel isn't real. Is he re was really good, though. I have to say, he was amazing in this movie. Yeah. He played a creeper incredibly well. It, part of it was that greasy, slicked back hair, I Sure. Think. I saw this at the Telluride Horror Show, and leaving it yeah. I had a feeling this was going to be one of your favorite movies of the year. I don't know if it was, but... I'll never say. <laughs> right. we'll Until talk about next that episode. Next episode. Yeah. This reminded me a lot of Fight Club, Donnie Darko, American Psycho, which are all kind of the films that got you into film, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were the yeah. ones that you loved when you were in yeah. high school. Yeah. I mean, do you agree that this I is kind agree. of similar like I, that? In yeah, a similar vein? It is in a similar vein. I think it's less groundbreaking than some of those well, films. It's it hard is, it's, to break ground. It, it's it becomes, been broken. Yeah, it becomes exponentially harder to break ground every year, right? But I don't think it was as amazing, but I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought that it was really well done. I thought that there were a number of good performances, not just our main characters, but even the side characters that only had bit roles did a really good job. Yeah, everyone killed it. The young woman who is a painter, I read about some other roles that she has played because oh, she looked really familiar to me. You haven't seen me. American Honey? No, that was the one I read about oh, where she's so supposed good. to be incredible. Uh, on paper, not a film that would be very me. Shia LaBeouf and her, it's incredible. You have to see it. I've been talking about a lot of non-horror this week, huh? All Sorry. Right. That's Sorry. okay. But... <laughs> Daniel isn't real. You guys should definitely check it out. Well, Just yeah. a fun, interesting, unique, cool movie. Also, it was uh, on point for me because my daughter has been relentlessly asking Santa Claus for a dollhouse for Christmas. Oh, cool. A place to trap her imaginary friend. Right. Well, she wanted an Adams Family one, which doesn't exist. So we've had to be pretty elaborate in what we do on that front. Are you but hand painting? A I came close to it. Instead, this is the line. Okay. There are some presents that Santa can just give, and there are other presents that the elves actually have to make because one of these presents doesn't exist in the outside world. Sure. And it just so happens that an Adams Family dollhouse is one of those that the elves would have to make. So the elves sat down to watch the Adams Family, and they just couldn't make it through because it was too, too spooky for them. Yeah, that makes sense. And the spookiest thing they could make it through was Harry Potter, so instead they're giving a Harry Potter Lego castle because that was like the scariest thing they could make it through. I think she'll be happy with that. And they're going to give her an Adams Family book to read instead. So Spectrovision, yeah. you know those guys. Daniel Noah, Elijah Wood, and Josh Waller. I mean, I know of them. I'm not cool enough to say I know them. After this film came out, they apparently, and this is just rumor, have been trying to acquire the rights for a Nightmare on Elm Street remake that would also be directed by this director, Adam Egypt Moore. Really? I mean, who knows? It could be just rumor, but I know that the rights 
are up for that and that it is quite possible. So wow. I think it would be interesting to see what they could do with that. I have no real attachment to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, so I'm willing to see I don't either. A, a interesting reboot. I totally agree with you. There's no, I have no nostalgia there that they're going to screw up. So, But I mean, yeah, that's Daniel isn't real. I think it's got uh, a thumbs up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, check absolutely. it out. And not my favorite movie of the year, but absolutely worth watching. Saying that it's something worth watching isn't really saying much because you just watched hours of <laughs> news footage about a super creepy, awful human and it's the Christmas season. Well, actually, Kelly, this is an earlier serial killer. So what I've been doing for the past week... Reading? Pouring through old newspaper articles. Oh, God. A lot more distressing. And uh, I guess we should get into it. We should. Ugh. It's time for Byron's Serial Corner. Hey, they found the bodies of at least three young boys. Six more bodies under the John Gacy house. And one longtime acquaintance describes Dahmer as one weird dude. Stay tuned for Byron's Serial Corner. Several of the victims have been strangled. Two were shot in the head. Several have been stabbed. They all had brownish hair. Their bodies placed in grotesque positions, and apparently no effort was made to conceal them from early discovery. All but one of the girls was either nude or partially disrobed. At least three and possibly four had been sexually molested. Each of the girls died on a rain-soaked night in the desolate fields outside of Ann Arbor. Pretty world today. Look at the sunshine. Look at the sunshine. And every day's the same since I met you. August 8th, 1967, two miles north of Gypsilanti, Michigan, in Superior Township, Mark Lucas and Russell Chris Oven, both 15 years old, were plowing the fields of Russell's father's farm. They had gotten up early to beat the heat. While working, they heard the sound of a car door slam, which was odd. Strangers rarely were a thing due to how off the beaten path the farm was, and again, it was early. Several sources stopped at curiosity as to why the boys followed the sound. One alluded that they may have wanted to watch a parked couple getting frisky, which may, uh. maybe. I mean, parking and lover's lanes were more of a thing back then. Still kind of creepy. Is it a thing? Back then? Oh, no, no, but is it now? I mean, I'm old. Is it now? I think parents just let people fuck each other. I think you're right. Oh, God, that's horrible to think about. Yeah, you've got children now. I do. But when they found the source of the slammed door at the field next to their property, it was driving out of sight. The boys noticed tire tracks leading into the underbrush near an abandoned farmhouse. Intrigued, they followed, and as they did, the two noticed a smell. Something rotten. About 50 feet off the road, in the tall grass, right in front of them, was a blackish-brown mass of leathery skin, which they initially assumed was nothing more than an animal, maybe a deer, covered in bugs. It wasn't until they saw a human ear that they realized this was the body of a human. How long had it been there? <laughs> a while. About a month prior, on Sunday, uh... July 9th, it was hot. At around 8.30 p.m., a 19-year-old accounting major named Mary Flizar told her roommate at Eastern Michigan University she wanted some fresh air. She left the apartment at 413 Westinaw and never returned. Concerned, Mary's roommate reported her missing 
the following morning when she didn't show up for work, her parents, Chester and Teresa, like Annie would be, were in a state of panic at the news, but were forced to wait three days before the police agreed to help. They assured the Flazars that it wasn't out of the ordinary for a college-age woman to run off with their boyfriends or go on a spontaneous trip without letting their parents know. I don't love that. Yeah, I agree. Finally, the Flazars were able to make a public plea. In the Traverse City record, Teresa said, quote, We haven't heard a word. You don't just walk out the door and drop off the side of the earth. Awful. Mary had left her purse, clothing, and car behind. The roommate, Nancy, said, quote, she wasn't depressed or anything, and she's not the flighty type. A statewide police alert was put in place, but they didn't have much to go on. A campus police officer, we might talk more about one of those later in the show. Yes. He remembered seeing someone matching Mary's description walking, but didn't see anything out of the ordinary. However, a neighbor did notice something the night of the disappearance. The witness was cooling off on his porch when he noticed someone resembling Mary Uh walking in the direction of her apartment. A blue-gray car was driving slowly next to her. She stopped to talk, and the neighbor noticed her shaking her head no, then continuing on her way. Oh, God. The car drove forward and pulled into a driveway, blocking her path. They spoke, and again she was seen shaking her head, walking around the car and continuing down the sidewalk the car backed into the street and burnt out, turning the corner. Ugh. It's believed this was the last time Mary was seen alive. And they did nothing? That man on the porch? Yeah. She didn't get in. She walked around. Yeah, but he didn't go like, hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? God, people suck. It was a different time. On August 8th, the day after the body was discovered near the Chrisovan farm, Mary's mother identified a sandal found at the scene as one that her daughter bought before going to Expo 67 in Montreal that spring. University Hospital was able to confirm, with the help of X-ray dental records, that the remains were that of Mary Flazar. An autopsy was performed, and although badly decomposed, a pathologist determined that she had been stabbed approximately 30 times in the chest and abdomen with a knife or sharp object. The thumb and part of the fingers on one hand were missing. The other hand, as well as part of the forearm, were gone as well. Her feet had been sawed off just above the ankles, and the bones of her leg had been pulverized. I'm not certain if this happened before or after her death, but the presence of abrasions all over her body point to her being severely beaten. It wasn't determined if she had been raped, but it was considered probable since she was found naked. After combing the abandoned farm, following tracks and pieces of discarded clothing, detectives came to the conclusion that the body had been moved three times while on the property was first placed on top of a pile of bottles and cans that were dumped and obscured by box elder trees. Then it was moved five feet south, where it laid for a majority of the month that she was missing. Finally, it was moved an additional three feet to the location where the boys stumbled upon it. It seems the killer couldn't stay away, which isn't uncommon. People like Ted Bundy would often return to the location where he dumped a body. Gary Ridgway would do the same thing. And it's more than likely that the car door that was heard shutting was Mary's killer leaving after paying a visit. Do you feel it? That chill? The cold that seeps into your marrow and leaves a trail of invisible frost along your spine? 
You left that door open, didn't you? Did you? The daylight hours are short now, and the night endless and hungry. The solstice has yet to come. Or has it passed? Wasn't there a porch light on at the house across the street? A warm, sepia spot of hope in the emptiness? Wasn't there a house across the street? Is this how it all ends? In mindless, black cold? Now there is only ice, void, and piping hot spring-heeled jack coffee. As you sip from your mug, there is warmth. Maybe spring-heeled jack can turn this around, this infernal cold. Then again, it's only sustainably sourced artisanal coffee from a passionate family-crafted roaster. It's only coffee. Is it only coffee? It's warm and delicious, and for a moment you thaw as well. You watch out your window through the frosted pane, where now there is nothing. Nothing but you and Spring Hill Jack. Now available on Amazon Prime and at Springhield, that's S-P-R-I-N-G-H-E-E-L-D, jack.coffee. Early in the morning of August 10th, at the Moore Funeral Home, just three hours before Mary's service, a handsome young man came to an employee with an odd request. Claiming to be a friend of the family, he asked if he could see her body. The employee said it couldn't happen, and he replied, quote, You mean you people can't fix her up enough so I can get one picture of her? What? Yeah, he said that it would be a keepsake for the parents. What? The employee persisted, more stern this time, and wordless, the man left driving away in a blue-gray car. Concerned and likely a little shaken, the incident was reported to police, but the employee couldn't provide a clear description of the man, other than he was handsome, white, and dark-haired, and that he had driven that blue-gray Chevrolet. It was also noted that he didn't have a camera with him. Authorities didn't know at the time, but this was just the beginning of a two-year murder spree that would grip the Ypsilanti, Two years. Mm-hmm, Ann Arbor, Michigan area with fear, all at the hands of a monster named John Norman Collins. Wow. John Norman Collins was born John Norman Chapman on June 17, 1947 in Windsor, Canada to Richard and Loretta Chapman. He was the youngest of three, with an older brother and sister, Jerry and Gail. I feel like I say this every time we do one of these, but growing up, John had it harder than most. Well, I mean, that's a common theme, yeah? It is. Soon after his birth, Richard abandoned the family. Alone, raising three kids, Loretta struggled. She worked a string of odd jobs. After a year, she remarried to an unknown man. Much like her first husband, husband number two would spend his days drinking at bars, returning home at night to yell at and beat Loretta. On one occasion, during a fight between the couple, when John was only two years old, he was ripped out of the arms of his mother and thrown inside the car's back seat. Hard. Oh, God. Yeah. A year later, husband number two was picking a fight with a man. A gun was drawn, and he grabbed John, holding him in front of his chest as a human shield. Oh, God. Terrible man. Oh, my God. 
1951, after a year of secretly saving money, Loretta left her husband, moving with her three children across the river to Detroit, Michigan. There, almost immediately after arriving, she met a man named William Collins. He helped her settle into the new city, and the two married two months later. William adopted her children, and they took his last name. It seemed like Loretta might have actually found a good man this time, but that didn't last long. Never does. Like her first two husbands, alcohol and violence became a near everyday occurrence, but sometimes the two would go drinking together. Uh, while inside, they would leave the children in the car unsupervised for hours. When the night was over, they would drive them home drunk. The marriage would last five years before William left for good. That's three total pieces of shit dads for one kid during the first three years of his life. Yeah, that's insane. Not a great start. Yeah. And not surprising, John was an anxious kid. He was a bedwetter who had to wear diapers into early elementary school. I shouldn't laugh. Telltale sign. Very unfortunate. And the violence at home inspired violence of his own. Why is bedwetting connected to that, Byron? Do you know? I mean, I can see how it would be connected to trauma, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. But what is it about that more than other indications of trauma that seems to foretell violent expression of that trauma? Well, I I don't really know. I don't know why. But I do know that when it happens, it can cause a child to become extremely humiliated and also uh, fearful of repercussions. Right. That makes okay. Also, just to clarify, not all children who wet beds are serial killers. It's just one of those three things, right, that we are always supposed to... Uh, Once, and this was confirmed when he would bring it up later in life, he bragged to a classmate that he had strangled a cat with a clothesline, which is another indicator. We were just talking about it, but I bring this up every time we talk about a serial killer, so I'll be brief. The McDonald Triad, developed by psychiatrist MJ McDonald, it's a set of three factors that act as predictors to violent behavior. Any combination of two are usually a good sign of trouble down the road. Um, The cat would be cruelty to animals, bedwetting, which is specifically after the age of five, and the third being setting fires. So we've talked about two, but John would also secretly start small fires inside his house. Oh, God. Yeah. Pyromania, number two. Well, three for three. Oh, right, because the animals, yeah. While we're talking indicators, head injuries is in there as well, which if it wasn't the throwing into the car incidents, I have no doubt that there were other beatings that could have taken place at the hands of his mother's husband. They weren't the best role model either. Growing up in a house that violent can embed those sort of impulses. With those men out of his life, and with his mother finding stable work as a waitress, there was finally a little calm in John's life. He began socializing more at school, was popular, got good grades, attended Catholic Mass on Sunday religiously. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. In high school at St. Clement's in Centerline, Michigan, he was an honor student and an athlete, lettering in three sports. He dated... Which three? Well... I'm uh, just kidding. I'm trying to. No, I have the three. Oh, what are they? He was a star pitcher for the baseball team. He was a tri-captain of the football team. He was the president of something called C-Club. What is that? Oh, we could think of so many things, couldn't Chess we? Chess Club? Chess? Chess Club? Maybe at a great... Uh, cricket? Colonoscopy Club? All right, and that's not a club anyone wants to be in. Basically, he became a... a hunk- Countertop Club. All right, a hunky jock. I got an image of him up here. Cool Kids Club. Okay. And while he was considered polite, quiet, respectful, and nice, occasionally, and with little provocation, he would lash out almost exclusively... At women. 
knuckles. Once at a school dance, he thought a girl was dancing too provocatively, <laughs> and he shamed her publicly, wow. quoting the sixth commandment. Honor, oh, wow. Honor Must thy be the father. commandments club. <laughs> that could have been what the C is. Yep. The sixth was honor thy father and mother. Later that year... <laughs> what a dork, right? La- later that year, a girl he was dating called him, quote, a bondage freak. Man, this guy is no fun at all. Mm-mm. What this, a jerk. Well, yeah. Real mean? See, this is the Shaming's thing. not cool. This would be echoed by other women he dated, noting that he would flip between sexually aggressive and puritanical. Very odd. Wow. Yeah, that's indication of some internal struggle for mm-hmm. sure. Throughout high school, he somehow maintained a positive clean-cut reputation. In 1965, at the age of 18, he graduated high school and enrolled at Eastern Michigan University with the intention of becoming a teacher. Do you know anything about uh, Eastern Michigan University? I don't. Not a darn thing, actually. I don't think I've ever had a student go there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Seems fine. Seems fine. It seems very uh, Midwesty. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing well his first semester, but things went downhill after he joined the Theta Chi fraternity. Well, you know how I feel about that. Yeah, we'll talk more about that later, too. His grades slipped, and a professor accused him of cheating on a test, which Uh-oh. landed him in the dean's office. Around this time, after making a troublemaking friend, a guy named Andrew Manuel, the two started stealing together, escalating from wallets to jewelry to answer sheets. He was actually known to drive around on this Triumph motorcycle that the ladies loved. It was made up almost entirely of stolen parts. Oh my God. Yeah. The thrill of getting caught was addictive. In an English paper, he wrote, quote, if a person wants something, he alone is the deciding factor of whether or not to take it, regardless of what society thinks is right or wrong, which is an excellent attitude to have if you want to be a serial killer or a criminal in general. Truth. But when John was caught stealing money from his frat brothers, they tossed him out. And in 1966, he walked in on his then-pregnant sister Gail in bed with a man that wasn't her baby's father. In a rage, he beat the man unconscious. And then he shifted his attention to his sister, striking her while yelling, whore and tramp. But this incident was downplayed and charges were never brought against him. And he continues to have bizarre, brief sexual relationships, attracting women with his good looks, confidence, and nice guy reputation, then confusing and scaring them with those aggressive sexual requests, all while expressing his ideas of female purity. He disapproved of girls with pierced ears because, quote, the woman had holes that defiled their bodies. Oh my god. He was also disgusted by menstruation, which is a theme that'll come up again and again and again in his crimes. One girlfriend recalled him storming out furious after she told him she was on her period. How dare you? These relationships obviously never lasted long, especially since I hear that it happens often. Almost once a month. I mean, for me? Okay, I'm not I'm asking. I'm an alien. I, I mean, it's a little to, different okay. setup. Uh, la, 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 la. He was controlling and increasingly agitated, barreling towards a violent outburst, which oh, God. you already know started with the murder of Mary on July 9th, 1967. Yep. Almost a year later, Ypsilanti was beginning to move past the death. They had avoided any notable violent crimes, and things were starting to feel a little more normal, peaceful, until July 5th, 1968. Construction workers in Ann Arbor were taking a break when they smelt something. 
the scent was so strong, distracting, and distinctly something dead that everyone stopped working to find the source. Eventually, they came upon a body on the side of the road. It was partially covered in grass that was pulled from the ground nearby. Her clothing had been partially removed, but was not missing. She had been raped, Ugh. then stabbed 25 times Great, with a 25. knife. Great, 25. That's less. excessive. Several of these wounds punctured her lungs, liver, and carotid artery. One additional wound was inflicted behind her left ear, fracturing her skull. Her throat had been slashed, and her miniskirt was then tied around her neck. Estimated to have been dead for five days, her head, shoulders, and breasts were in an advanced state of decomposition, but her entire lower body was oddly preserved. Patholo- I've never heard anything like this, but pathologists oh. believe that her body had been stored in a naturally cool environment, but with the upper third exposed to room temperature heat. How does that even, what, how does that happen? I don't know, maybe sitting upright in an open refrigerator? I really don't know. She was wearing sandals and was identified from jewelry on her body. This was Joan's shell. Joan, 20, was an art major at EMU. On the night of Sunday, June 30th, 1968, she made plans to stay with a friend overnight in Ann Arbor, which is something like 10 miles away. It's basically as far as it is from my house to yours, Kelly. Her roommate, Susan Colby, tried to talk her out of it, but would go on to witness Joan getting into a car with three men about 11.30 that night. A 65 or 67 Pontiac Bonneville with a red bottom and a black vinyl top, which to me sounds like a car the devil would drive. Oh, it does. Yeah. I know so little about cars, I can't even picture that one, but I'm just gonna go with it. Joan promised she would call her roommate as soon as she arrived, but after three hours, Susan's concerns swole and she called the police. And what do you think they told her to do? Wait. Uh, Which she I was ro- going to say, I don't know, wear <laughs> clothes so she doesn't look like she's asking for it. Could be so many different things back then. She did wait, and she called again first thing in the morning at 7.30. When asked, she could only describe one of the three men, the driver, early 20s, slender but muscular, wearing a green EMU t-shirt. He had dark hair. Huh? Initially, police suspected Joan's burnout boyfriend, a guy named Dale Schultz. Uh, he had gotten... That does sound like a burnout. Dude. Yeah. Well, Schultz. You, you listen to this. The only he... Schultz that did anything good was that Charlie Brown Char- creator. Charles Schultz. Yeah. He had gotten in a bit of trouble for a, a, a B&E, breaking and entering. Good old B&E. But mm-hmm. the, the judge ruled that charges would be dropped if he enlisted in the army for three years. It was a different time. He did this. <laughs> Do, do you think they were just hoping, like, if he enlists and goes to war, he'll just get killed and we won't have to worry about him committing more crimes? Get killed or become a better man. Yeah. I don't know. During his time in the army, he actually went AWOL twice to visit Joan. Los dos. When police contacted the base after Joan went missing, they were informed that Dale had been AWOL since June 29th. Really? Which was the day before Joan went missing. No one really. Knew, yeah. No. Ah, one. that seems like a coinky dink. Suspicious. A story ran in the paper, and an obviously concerned Dale ended up calling Joan's parents, crying, saying he had no idea where she was and was he was scared. After the conversation, although Susan's father obviously didn't like Dale, he was convinced that Dale had nothing to do with it. Stupid father. Stupid. Well. He soon turned himself into the police, and during an interview, he said that he had been planning to meet up with Joan at her friend's house on the night she disappeared. The friend and himself stayed up all night waiting and worrying. When police let him know that a body was found, Dale broke down and actually needed help leaving the station. So it's pretty obvious that he didn't know anything about it and had nothing to do with it. 
Suspicion briefly turned to the construction workers that had found the body. They always get blamed for things, Yeah, they, they all had alibis, so okay, good. didn't matter. It was looking like John had, again, gotten away with it. Even though he'd kidnapped his victims near the bustling campus, no one suspected him. But police were going to do everything they could to find who's killing these girls. More than 150 registered owners of red and black vehicles in the state of Michigan were also cleared of suspicion. They used the roommate Susan's description to make a composite sketch, which I, I have up on the screen, and it'll be in the show notes of this episode I mean, of Friday.com. You are right that it's good. Who did the sketch? I'm not sure of the artist. Well, no, so here's the thing. It's a, it's a meaningful question. Sure. My mother has recently befriended the most prominent sketch. forensic sketch artist oh, man, in the country. A, a red carpet lifestyle being called into all these intense interesting man he also has done extensive bigfoot research i'm working on an interview Well, that sounds great yeah it it looks a lot like john a picture of john and of this composite will be in the show notes of this episode at friday.com august 18th investigators announced that all significant leads had been exhausted and that the number of officers assigned to investigate seems quitting a little early had been reduced nonetheless the inquiry into the murders remained active there was a reward totaling $7,800 for information leading to the conviction of a perpetrator of the homicides. Really? Seems not like a lot, but maybe back then? I don't know. Could have done maybe a little better. In September, two new witnesses came forward, having seen Joan with a male EMU student. It was dark, but they were pretty sure. Pretty sure? That this was John Collins. The timeline was inconsistent, one claiming to have seen them in front of John's apartment at 9.30, the other saying it was 11, but both acted like they didn't want to get John in trouble. He was just such a nice guy. (sighs) Police decided to pay him a visit. A calm but concerned John answered the door. When asked about his whereabouts on the night of the disappearance, he claimed that he was visiting his mother that weekend and hadn't returned to Ypsilanti until um, the morning of July 1st. Ypsilanti. Yipsy, yipsy. I just love every time you say it. Oh, thanks. Focusing on that. He said he didn't know anyone with a matching Pontiac. He showed the police his car and his motorcycle, which were not black or red or Pontiacs. He said that he didn't know Joan, even though she was his neighbor. They bought it. Oh, really? But also noticed he was acting a little too cool. However, this cool appearance wouldn't last long. His frustration was growing. He was snapping at his friends and family. He had removed himself from social situations. His mask was cracking. March 20th, 19th. Metaphorically, not, yes. not no, literally, right? He wasn't wearing right? a, a spooky mask. Okay, I was going right. to say, when you wear those mud masks, you got to make sure you maintain a consistent temperature. <laughs> okay. they, they do start to crack. Sure they do. March 20th, 1969, Jane Louise Mixer. A 23-year-old EMU law student heard after posting a note on a college bulletin board looking for a ride to her hometown of Muskegon. It was about three hours away. She was going home to tell her parents that she was set to be engaged to her boyfriend and that they would be moving to New York. Exciting. I mean, sure. Her need-a-ride request. I don't really ever want to move to New York. I'm just trying to think if I would actually be excited about it. Well, is New York better than Michigan? No. I mean, Michigan listeners, I didn't mean that as a slight. I take Michigan 10 to 1. It's very cold there. It's okay. You got blankets. All right. Her need-a-ride request was answered by a handsome, dark-haired man going by the name David Johnson. The next morning, Jane's body was found by a woman walking by. Uh Uh-oh. Lying on its back on top of a plot 
with its head resting against a gravestone inside Denton Cemetery in Van Buren Township. Fully clothed, the body was covered with her raincoat, with a copy of the novel Catch-22 by her side. She had been shot... It is interesting. She had been shot in the head twice with a twenty-two caliber pistol. Really? Strangled with a pair of nylons. Although Jane hadn't been sexually assaulted like the previous victims, she was found clothed. Her tights had been pulled down, displaying a tampon. Oh. Mm. Pushed him over the edge. Hates periods. Hates them. And he wasn't very satisfied with this new mode of killing either. With the pistol, he was looking for a more efficient way of feeding his urge to kill. Uh, a way to quickly get it over with so he could resume his normal life. Ah, this is... Wow. Okay. But he found very little relief in this. So much so that just days after taking the life of Jane, John would commit his most brutal murder to date. Oh! So the others haven't been so bad. No. The next murder shook 30-year veterans of the force so much that they would consider it the most gruesome crime in modern Michigan history. And we're stopping here so I don't have to hear that until after Christmas? This is where we'll pick up uh, next episode. I honestly had no idea if you were going to do that. I was just really hoping. In John Norman Collins Part 2. Thank you for the Christmas gift of letting me wait to hear the most horrific one until after my Christmas spirit has already died. Great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to give a moderately decent review, but I feel like now I'm not going to have anything good to say because my soul is empty. So should we just start trashing on Black Christmas now? (laughs) Let's review Black Christmas. Hope you're enjoying your visit here this evening. Now, on with the show. Black Christmas is a 2019 American slasher directed by Sophia Tacall. Yep. Where did I put the uh, fucking synopsis? Well, I mean... I had it. Stereotypical sorority girls are slaughtered by the most preposterous villain yet in all of horror movies. That seems like a good synopsis. You don't like that synopsis? I don't love it. I think it covers things pretty well. Surprised that you don't go for it. Hawthorne College is quieting down for the holidays as students travel home to spend time with their families. But as Riley and her sorority sisters prepare to deck the halls with seasonal parties, a mysterious cloaked figure starts to leave a bloody trail throughout the campus. Refusing to become a hapless victims, Riley and her friends decide to band together and fight back against the psychotic Christmas killer. Okay, so before we get any further, I just want to name that Hawthorne College is not a place. Okay, it's a fictional location. Yeah, and I need to figure out where it was filmed. It was actually in New Zealand. New Zealand, you say? Yes, it was. Development of this film began in June of 2019. University of Otago. (laughs) When Jason Okay, announced that he'd be producing a second remake of the 1974 film, with Blumhouse, I believe it was 2006, they attempted another one of these. I didn't see it because I'm a huge fan of Black Christmas, the original. I only 
came into this because one of my favorite actresses and directors came on board. Sophia Tikal joined the project as director and co-writer. Yeah. She had worked with Jason earlier on an Into the Dark for Hulu, one of my favorites. They are Uh, fun. New Year, New You. Remember that one? I do. It was a lot of fun. She is a mumbler. You and your mumbles. So (laughs) much about mumbles. She's, uh, to me, was known mostly as an actress. She was in films like All the Light in the Sky, Gabby on the Roof in July. In 2011, she starred in and directed a film called Green, which is pretty good. She plays Stephanie in the second honeymoon segment of VHS. She was in Adam Wingard's 24 Exposures. She's great. I like her a lot. She directed a film that none of the writers at Friday.com enjoyed except me uh, called Always Shine, a, a psychological thriller, I guess. Really interesting. I would highly recommend people check that out. It stars Mackenzie Davis and Caitlin Fitzgerald. But yeah, I, I've, I, I've been following Sophia for a very long time. I was extremely happy to see what she would do with this franchise initially. Principal photography, like I said, uh, New Zealand, it took 27 days to shoot, which is a lot for one of these films. It It is. Seems like it. Yeah. I'm sure it had a significant budget, but you know the Blumhouse model, never above $10 million. So... I guess that's true. We watched this in the theater together. We saw the Grudge trailer. Yeah, there were actually a few trailers that looked really good. Antlers looks fun. Antlers looks great. Uh, Uh, Every one of the trailers. And then I always do this after every movie, then I forget which ones. There's something called The Turning as well. Oh, I thought that looked great. I thought was The Boy 2, which is a movie that's coming out. It is a movie that's coming out. I completely, I, I thought the same thing. There wasn't quite the ruckus crowd that i was expecting no we did go on the i guess the release night yep the technical one friday not not the previous screening on thursday well that's a big old hanky full of bugs god that's awful i'm sorry i understand you're getting my sickness and you will soon be doing that but with blood (laughs) so So that's exciting going into this did you know anything other than having watched the original with us i don't even think you finished it during the cinema autopsy episode you went to bed early yeah i honestly think you're right that sounds very familiar to me oh no i mean it was just a slasher right like you know me i don't really give a shit about slashers so i was it was fine but i wasn't really like I, i had very little invested imogene poots star of this thing riley stone is her character imogene you would know her from a lot of things uh a picture i took with her at south by southwest is on my instagram she was in 28 weeks later yeah, she's also another pharrell she is clearly a vampire I, well i mean she's only 30 she looks like she's 17 and she has looked like she's 17 since I, she was 13 i kind of agree she was in the fright night remake obviously in green room playing amber yeah amazing performance there that's where i think i was introduced to her okay but yeah another great film that came out i think it was released this year the art of self-defense have you heard of that of course not from the director of faults check that out i love imogene i think her performance was the only real strong one out of everyone in this film oh see yeah you're probably right okay (laughs) I, I, i could take or leave anything else about this and i wish haven't felt like this in a while that I laughed. Okay, so I thought it was fun. And I think the reason I thought it was fun is because I don't like slashers, so I went in with no expectations. Sure. And it was kind of fun to see that Carrie was was in it again since I, he's just playing your standard white male villain these days, doing a pretty good job at that. Yeah, I mean, he was the bad guy in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, yeah. After <laughs> being... Way back. I mean, he was the good guy in... Princess Bride. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. Since that's just weird. You shouldn't admit that to people. All right, and I apologize. Yeah. 
It was incredibly cliche and incredibly stereotypical and there was nothing unexpected about it. But I actually did think some of the cinematography was fun. Like one of the scenes when one of the sorority sisters is left alone in the house and you can see like three different doorways at the same time. That was a really cool shot. Yeah. There were some things that were done that made it fun to watch. That scene in particular, it was cool because it was static for a very long time. And then it did kind of a whip zoom at the moment of intense action, which... It was really cool. And I guess before we get into the, the details, I do want to say up top, in an attempt to not be labeled alt-fright, I do want to say that there are a lot of very important themes discussed in this movie. Well, and in fact, I think that was one of your biggest beefs with it, wasn't it? Because kind they of. didn't do a good job of discussing them? Yeah, if they're going to bring it up, I don't want it to be... It, it was like, a very serious Our heroine, it becomes clear, has been raped, and that's treated pretty nonchalantly. You know, there are some issues of women's equality and the suppression of historical literary voices of people of color and basically anybody other than white males. But the way that all of that is presented is in such a stereotypical way that it's almost like it's a, a... bipolar. It's like they aren't even trying. Right. And here, one of the lead characters in it, who, I mean, I think she did a fine job of acting. I thought it was just unfortunate that they made her character so two dimensional. A woman named Elise, I think that's how you pronounce her name, Elise Mm -hmm. Shannon. And she played one of the sorority sisters who was just this, like. She's an activist. But she's like this angry feminist. And she's an angry black woman feminist. And they made her say the most cliche, non-thoughtful things that really presented her as a two-dimensional figure when, in fact, the issues that were being discussed were incredibly relevant, real, important issues, but none of it was done in a way that gave any of it any kind of respect. Well, it it was really disappointing because it had a handful of characters and uh, Riley, Imogene Poot's character aside, I felt like everyone was treated almost like a caricature. Even the bad guys from the moment they yeah. came on screen, they might as well have been playing. And maybe they even did super villain music. Right. Because all right. of these fraternity guys and the, the, the person that had raped Riley and the professor who I, I guess portrayed in a really like not nuanced way whatsoever. He was just so obviously evil that there was no uh, interest. Truth. And I, I mean, all of those issues, everybody who's been listening recently, I know that I'm like getting in trouble for being too political. This is stuff I really care about. Yeah. This is stuff that I like to see brought to the light, but it needs to be brought to the light in a thinking, respectful way, not in a, hey, we're going to throw a bone to stupid people out there about these issues and make it look like we're being socially aware. They sure. weren't being at all. And well, until it crossed more into that stuff, I was able to enjoy it as just like a super stupid basic it was like scream. funny horror movie yeah but i feel like they weren't authentic with that enough to just lean into it they wanted to seem like something they weren't and that's where they really lost it and it just got the last third of it was just patent over absurd. the top. insane yeah. but i want to talk about two scenes before we move forward into that direction okay. uh, riley like we mentioned several times has been raped and her rapist is showing up at well, this she's only been raped once we've mentioned it several times. yes sorry apologies just to be clear she and her sorority sisters are going to be doing this performance at a i don't know what they call things because i didn't attend college for very long i did i wasn't at a sorority <laughs> yeah so, you know uh, something where the fraternity and the sorority come together and do like big performances this performance riley's initially not supposed to take part of it yeah it is 
Although the subject matter is very important, I'll say that again, the most cringeworthy scene I have seen in a very long time. They parody up on the rooftop and and turn it into uh, up in the frat house discussing this rape and yeah. calling out the fraternity brothers. Yeah. And that sort of kicks off this tension between the two. Yeah. That scene could have been done really well. Well, and it was handled, But it wasn't. It was handled so poorly and so cheesy. It felt it felt like something that I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Either. The other scene that I would like to talk about is and I I, I want to get your opinion on how you felt about this. One of the sorority sisters has a boyfriend. His name is Nate, I believe. Oh yeah, they got they were mean to him. He was pretty nice dude. All right, and let's briefly explain the 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 difference in audio quality. Kelly had to run, so she's doing this from her car on the way to an appointment. And that's very garbled and distorted. Fantastic. Nate, after listening to days of this situation unraveling, uh, kind of has a quick break where he's like, I'm sick of tired of listening to all this man-hating. This would be different if... He was an asshole. Don't get me wrong. He snapped. Everybody was being annoying at that point, though, and that kind of shit just happens. Also, they're like teenagers or like barely out of being teenagers. But the plot line was this stupid bust of the founder was emitting some type of brainwave that was... It was boosting alpha energy. Yes. It was drawing out the alpha in everyone. Okay. Which was maybe the dumbest concept ever. I completely agree. It's absurd. The idea was he was this nice, respectful boyfriend who went alpha for 30 seconds, but really, like, him going alpha, like, we aren't talking about, you know, a f***ing... University of Montana grizzly football rapist here. Like yeah, which we about. do have. We do have. And not all of them are. There's some very nice football players. Great but nice. I'm just saying, this was not a... If they were going to make that point, he needed to be, like, truly a jerk alpha. Yeah. And it was very weird because the women reacted in a pretty unreasonable way to him. I thought that this was almost like a weird meta choice. It was like a snap out of what had been going on for the past 20 minutes or 30 minutes or however long it was. Kind of like, what are we doing? Which was interesting, almost a comment on the entire movie up until that point. But I I do see what you're saying. I mean, it was the first time I saw a character actually act like a person in this. Yeah, that is true. And apparently, like, that wave gives them, he said he had, like, after he came back to try to be nice, he said he had, like, a migraine of some sort. Yeah, it gives him this headache. We're talking about some really bizarre things that have nothing to do with the original Black Christmas. And that is one thing that really bothers me about this. There are, I think, four scenes that are almost like visual references to the original movie. But other than that, it is just absolutely, I don't know. That's one of the reasons I didn't hate this movie. Because kind of like the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I have no like emotional attachment to the original mm-hmm. Black Christmas. So the fact that it derivated, like I had to ask you if it did, even though I have supposedly seen it all. Sure. Because I didn't remember whether the original contained this weird supernatural God. brainwashing, you know, mysterious powered buff yeah. statue. But it didn't. So, yeah, it, it was pretty comical and ridiculous. Absolutely. I don't know why they felt the need to add it. Uh, I'm not sure. The moment that we lost our absolute mind, I know you have like about a minute 30 left. Yeah. <laughs> 
when they're in the car, she she does go talk to a security guard once one of the sorority sisters goes missing. And he's like, well, maybe wait till tomorrow and then we'll figure it out. She probably just got a flat tire on the way home. Uh, the next thing she says after being attacked by basically possessed pledges from a fraternity who had been taken over by this alpha energy black ooze um, what did she say that made us lose our minds in the theater and ruin the experience for everyone else? It was something about how they had to go back. We can't let them win. I don't know. It was something really awful along that those That she lines. couldn't go to the police because you saw what happened last time when she talked oh, to the right, campus because, police. Right, because he was going to eat a mayonnaise sandwich and tell her he wasn't going to do anything, which was more awful to imagine than going back and facing people with, really powerful metal arrows that were trying to murder you. Yeah, at this point, there was the body of three dead fraternity brothers in their sorority house. So I have a feeling it's a little bit of a different situation that the police would have looked at with uh, uh, a closer eye. I mean, traditionally, campus police are not awesome, uh-huh. but I don't know that they need to be feared. I don't know that they should be heavily depended on. But also, guess what? I'm sure there are real police in that goddamn town. Sure. And equating real police to campus police is an absurd thing to do. Basically, the notion that their best option was to return from the situation they just narrowly escaped with their lives suspends any attribution of intellect to those young women at all. Absurd. Kelly, I know that you have to leave. Can you hit me with your final thoughts real quick? Uh, Final thoughts. I actually did enjoy the first half of the movie. Some of the cinematography was fine. Imogen Poots is a great actress. The rest of the characters were playing fun two-dimensional roles. And I think if this movie had committed to staying surface and like not taking itself seriously, it would have been far better. I just think it had like one foot in one door and one foot in the other, and that's why it ultimately didn't work. Yeah, I mean... I would say if you're bored next Christmas when it's out on video, rent it. Don't bother going to see it at the theater. It's not Mm -hmm. worth that. Uh, Go see a jolly holiday flick instead. Uh, Some theaters are doing a re-release of National Lampoons for the holidays, so you should go check that out if you got that one locally. Okay. I give the remake of Black Christmas 5.7 strings of Christmas lights that should be more harmful with broken glass from the bulbs than they are with the cord, but that's not the way they decided to do it. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for uh, your opinion. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm going to hang up and then give my final thoughts and then uh, close this thing out. Oh, that sounds great. Um, Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas, Maria. And I'll see you guys soon. Okay, bye. Black Christmas 1974 is a treasured holiday classic to me that I love going back to. It can do no wrong, and it was groundbreaking at the time. One of the first POV moments in horror. Also, one of the first slashers. And the original itself was such a uh, leap forward in feminism at the time with the theme of abortion, my body, my choice. This, if it would have remained a slasher instead of going off the rails, could have been passable. The performances were fine, but the subject matter wasn't taken seriously enough. Uh, If you're going to bring that stuff up, I think maybe cover it in a responsible way. I didn't want to be disappointed. I love Sophia Tikal as an actress and as a director, and I enjoyed the last thing she did. New Year, New You is, I think, one that maybe you should check out on Hulu. If you haven't dipped your toe in the Into the Dark franchise, that's a good one to start with. But this thing's a mess. 
The leaps in logic are baffling. The performances were amateurish. And I don't know how this happened. For those reasons, I give Black Christmas 2019 3.0 showdown weapons. And those are our thoughts on Black Christmas, which is in theaters as of recording. I would say go check it out, but I'm definitely more in Kelly's camp with saying, if you're at all curious, maybe wait till VOD or streaming. But if you have seen this film, I want to know your thoughts. Tweet us or DM us on Twitter or Instagram at Fright Day. Leave a comment below this episode at FrightDay.com. Send us an email, contact at FrightDay.com. Or let's have a conversation about this in our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash FrightDay. Because this is a remake of such a beloved franchise, I, I, I do want to know your thoughts. Whether or not you've seen just the original, not this, just this, not the original, or both. Maybe even the 2006 thing, which I have no idea what that's about. Uh, let's talk about it. Facebook.com slash group slash Fright Day. And if you like this show and want to help us make it even better, grab something spooky at shop.frightday.com. I don't think it'll make it there before Christmas, but it is getting chilly and you need clothes on your body. It's just a fact. Be too ghoul for school. Join the academy. We got pins, patches, stuff that glows in the dark. The Roswell incident at Captain Kelly's special presentation, it must be heard. It's probably one of my proudest accomplishments to put a podcast out on a cassette before everyone else started doing it. It's also beautiful. It's this fluorescent green with cover art that's from the pictures after the crash. It also has a special message from Kelly regarding why Roswell is important to her. So check it out, shop.frightday.com. And I'm going to stop talking because before we recorded this, we did a lot of it. We recorded a behind the screams about non-horror Christmas that went on longer than I expected, but it's only available at patreon.com slash Friday. When you subscribe on Patreon at the $4 level or higher, you get access to lots of bonus content. You get the non-horror Christmas discussion. You get bonus episodes of Captain Kelly's Cryptic Conspiracies, Byron's Serial Corner, The Writer's Room, Cinema Autopsy, live streams when we do them, early access to products. You got a 15% off discount at shop.frightday.com, and you get those warm fuzzies when you help us step closer and closer to this being more and more of our life. Dare I say a job. Even if you support us at the dollar level, uh, that could quickly become something that we're able to do more of. A good amount of you are already doing this. But I want to take a second and say thank you and welcome to two new patrons. We got Kyle and Matt. Thank you so much for your support, guys. I hope you're enjoying all of the perks that you've unlocked. But most helpful of all, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's the best way to get us inside new ears and up charts. That's actually what I'm going to ask from you for Christmas. Apple's making it easier than ever to leave a review. You've got, you've got a phone in your hand. You've got a computer, not in your lap, maybe on a table. Click the stars, write a couple nice words. It's just that easy, and it means everything to us. You're going to have to wait until the new year to hear part two of John Norman Collins, because next week we're going to be doing an episode of It's Been a Weird Week. If you have any news stories that need our attention, email us, contact at frightday.com, or tweet us at FrightDay on Twitter. But until then, you can find me at Byron McCoy on Twitter and Instagram, Byron at FrightDay.com. That's my email address. And until next FrightDay, I'm Byron. You actually 
it looks a little bit like uh, what's his ass, the one that drove Demi Moore to Whippets. Who was that again? I don't know what that meant at all. Uh, then he got married to that younger one. Ashton. Ashton Kuchuar. Yeah, don't you think he looks kind of, he got like a bit of an Ashton look to him? Can you see that face? It's a bit of an Ashton face. Yeah, I could see that. You've been listening to an Audio Wool original produced by Byron McCoy. Theme music provided by Cemeteries. For more programs like this, visit audiowool.co.